Welcome to the Love Fly podcast. I'm Paul Tizza, our fear of flying coach and creator of Overcome Your Fear of Flying in 30 Days. And today we've got an awesome guest, awesome guest, person I've known for years who's never aged. Uh, this is Jonathan Jasper, works at IATA, has a, had a huge history and background in commercial aviation. And Jonathan, or JJ, is here today to talk about what the IATA do and what he does and anything else we get into, really. So uh, welcome, JJ. Thank you, Paul. Awesome yeah. guest. I like that. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think we all should start strong. Respect where it's due. <laughs> now, JJ, I don't know if you remember, but I first, the first time I met you, it would be nothing to you, but to me, it's a significant moment in my life is that I was walking along the road and I don't think I knew you. I was in the, the Virgin uniform and I'm talking years ago. You're an instructor and I was just a little crew person and you and maybe Janice were driving past and you stopped and said, do you want to lift back to wherever it was? It's quite a walk back to the thing. And that was the first time I met you. And I wasn't instructed. You didn't know me. And I thought to myself, this is a guy, despite being, you know, a well-respected instructor, is humble enough to do something like that, to do a solid for somebody you didn't know. So that was my first time I met you. Well, that's, that's a memory. And it all went thought, downhill after that. But, uh, I thought yeah. you were going to say I told you off for wearing the uniform wrongly or no, something. But, no, 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 it was awesome. So... I've had, always had a lot of respect for you, and I've been very intrigued by your career to date. So tell us a little bit about your sort of your journey to where you are now. A journey to where I am now. I knew when I was a child that I always wanted to work in aviation. I, I'm just one of the lucky ones that I always knew that. Mm. And uh, I used to make aircraft models and dream about being in them and going on holiday and watching the cabin crew. I loved all of that stuff. And then I went to my school's advisor, careers advisor, and they said, no, you don't want to be cabin crew. You need to be a map, a map, a cartographer, a map drawer. And I said, mm, OK. So I left school young at 15. I didn't stay on to the sixth form that I was being pushed to do. And I joined mm. a travel agency, Thomas Cook, just for a year. Well, on the YTS scheme, as, as they were then, the those, youth, yeah. youth yeah. training program, youth training yeah. scheme. Joined those successfully I really enjoyed my time there and I was with them until 1989 when I decided it's time to do I am now old enough I can be cabin crew I can go and do that so I joined Danair as a temporary cabin crew member for the first year and then extended and then there was this other airline that was recruiting called Virgin Atlantic so I applied for them and joined Virgin 1990 went through all the Gulf Wars, all the catastrophes that the world was having at the time. And mm -hmm. I stayed there, cabin crew, purser, supervisor, training instructor, ended up as the cabin safety officer. And then in 2015, I applied to come and be the cabin safety manager at the International Air Transport Association in Montreal. Wow. That was, a, that was fantastic and fast. That's let's just rewind. Years. Let's rewind. So, <laughs> How long were you doing the actual flying before you came into the office and started doing safety? I, I was flying from 1989 until 1993 when I went into the office. And I went into the office as part-time. So it would be two weeks of training and two weeks of flying. And I kind of tried to keep it that way as much as possible for many, many years. 
But then in uh, 2001, after September the 11th, I switched and went into the office full time mm. and managed to managed to keep in a few flights a year. But otherwise, it was a, a bit of a mix and is yeah. predominantly office based. But I loved that time in the office, talking to the cabin crew when they come in and helping them and sorting them, mm. sorting them out and giving them what they need to go back online. So why were you drawn to safety as an area? Well, really, I wasn't. I yes, saw this a, is a confession. <laughs> well, <laughs> right, it, Mary it's Gooding? true. <laughs> I really wasn't. I, yeah, she was my ex-manager for 21 years. She's, wow. my, she's like my mother. I saw a job that was advertised for service delivery. They wanted to upgrade the business class product. Mm. And I was, I remember where I was. I was down route in New York and I was reading the, the specifications of the job. And I thought, yeah, I would really like that. And do you know what? I got turned down for it. So then jobs came up for training instructors and I applied for that thinking service, 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 because that's what I considered I did best. But during my interview, which was a presentation on the effects of turbulence on the aircraft, that's when I discovered that they had ideas for me. And it was Mary Gooding, the safety manager at the time, who said, yes, I want this one. And so they persuaded me to go for service, oh. uh, for safety. And I never looked back. Yeah, because that's really interesting to me, because having known you, you're kind of known as being the font of all knowledge when it comes to safety. And you've always had a very relaxed way about you. And they're yet to see you stumped by any question about safety orientated things. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I've had a very good boss for all of that time. I mean, you, you know, my old boss, Mary Gooding, and she is like a mother to me, really. But I had a lot of respect for how she seemed seemed to know everything or knew where to find the answers. And she trained me to do that. And that's where it's come from, really. And the relaxed approach is there is no point in being stressed about safety. Safety yeah. should be safety to me is the blood of every one of us. Everything we do, we should consider safety. It's not a separate thing that you've got to stop and think about afterwards. No. And we've all done it with, you know, children. Yeah, don't do that. You'll get hurt. Don't do that. Don't don't climb up that slide. You're going to hurt yourself. That's safety in in the blood. Mm. Yeah. So you've made it very much sort of part of everything you do, and then you've passed that on to all the thousands of people you must have trained. Yeah, I, I do wonder how many people I've trained over the last twenty, thirty years, or even the number of safety professionals that I've trained since I've been at IATA in in the last five. Well, I think of all the many thousands of people that you've touched, Jonathan. <laughs> And served in the tea and coffee way. too, <laughs> and served a meal too, and looked after on a flight as well. There's thousands. Yeah. So quite an influence you've had. Really interesting. Thank you. I've always, I've been a big fan of yours, you can probably tell. I think that you just have this, you ooze calm and competence. And I think, thinking of people like you, training all the cabin crew out there, that's fantastic. But now your role's even bigger, isn't it? So how does... How does your role at IATA, which many people may not have even heard of if they, unless they're you know, in the commercial aviation thing, I, I hadn't before I was with the airline. So who are IATA and what's your kind of bit of it? Well, the IATA is the International Trade uh, International Air Transport Association, and they're the trade association for the airlines. Initially, it was kind of set up as a banking system, if you like. And going back to when I was a travel agent, I knew of IATA then because all of the money that my customers paid to me on tickets came to me. 
I paid it to IATA and they paid it to the airlines after those passengers had traveled. So it was all based on once your boarding pass has been submitted to the system, then the airline that flew you there got paid. So that was what I knew I of IATA. I knew that. And th- that's predominantly the main business that IATA is in, is you know facilitating travel between airlines. And you think now you buy a ticket on one airline, you end up flying on another because it's a code share system and the money still has to go through the clearinghouse to get into the right hands at the end of it. So it's a kind so, of a, pro- a layer of protection, I guess, by the sound of it. Yeah, and it's very much, I mean, what, what it's progressed to is in order for an airline to join IATA, it has to comply with the set of standards that IATA defines. And that's where my role is now, is writing the standards within the cabin that airlines have to adhere to. And we look at all the regulations around the world and we take the best bits that we can and we merge them together and we say, this is the standard that is required of the cabin crew training. This is the standard that's required of the onboard announcements. This is the standard that's required of any safety issue on board the aircraft that all of our members have to deal with. And they get checked every two years and if they fail their audit, they're expelled from IATA. And what will that mean to an airline? And that would mean to the airline that they're not part of that banking clearinghouse, if you like. Here, that's the key driver. But they're also not able to get the support from IATA in any of their issues that they're facing with or dealing with. So you've so, got a bit of power then, actually, haven't you? Well, and a lot of people well, think we're scared. a regulator. A lot of people think that we regulate air travel. We don't regulate. It's a set of standards that everybody has to comply with in order to be a member which in turn means that Mm. passengers when they're traveling can be assured that an IATA member airline is providing this absolute minimum level of service that's what we're doing in safety side of it and then Mm. the other aspects of my work are helping airline safety people understand the safety management system process Okay, so this this so this this would be quite complicated for somebody not in the industry. So let's pull it back a bit. So perhaps give us an example of something that you've written that we might you know that anybody who flew would see that's a standard being upheld. Ooh, I'm trying to think if there is because our our standards are based on standards that are already out there. I'm just trying to think if there's anything specifically that I could say that a passenger would see lithium batteries oh. all of our passengers That's will carry <laughs> yes mobile phones mobile phones tablet devices all of these mm. electronic goods that people want to carry on board it's iata's role to manage those risks or help the airlines to manage those yes. risks so iata sets a whole set of regu- regulations like standards that are passed mm. back to the airlines to say Passengers are only allowed to carry these types of batteries. They're only allowed to carry these types of devices. They must be carried on their person or in their passenger bag or in their checked bag. So we set all of those, which the airlines then comply with. If that, uh, that, I think that's the only one that I can think of that is directly on passengers. So there's that's just one. That's like the tip of the iceberg, isn't there? So I'm guessing there's probably lots of things over the years where you've influenced it and it's all with the aim of keeping us all safer. I joined in 2015. And before that, all of these rules existed. It's since 2015, I'm trying to think of other things that have crept in because technology advances, cabin innovation 
advances. And as an example of something I've done today is I had a talk with somebody who's got a very innovative seating design and they're trying to get it on board the aircraft. And they contacted me personally through somebody else and asked for my advice on their product and whether it's viable. And I'm looking at it from the passenger's point of view and the crew member's point of view and giving them advice to go away and maybe change their design a little bit so that we don't see these things that we see on all these various social media posts as crazy designs. We see things that passengers are going to enjoy being in. Mm. But also meet the safety standards and the weight requirements and all that sort of stuff. And that the crew are not going to injure themselves working with, Mm. which is another issue. Or hate, hate being there. <laughs> There's been I'm a sure few seats in history. <laughs> yes. <laughs> People are like, oh, these damn seats. Yeah, not that they weren't safe, but they were just ugly. It's, it's, it's really that, yeah, and the crew that hated the seats that we're talking about, and we're not going to say into specific no, ones, but the crew no. that hated the seats that we're talking about, they hated it because the passengers hated it. Mm. And if the passengers hate it, then the crew are affected by that and they want it changed, but it takes yes. such a long time to change anything. So what's the best bit of your job now? Where do you see that you have the most kind of influence? Influence? The best bit about my job, I mean, COVID has been a totally, a total fight for everybody. What I've seen has changed with the way that we've done things is we're talking more directly with passengers if we can and more directly with cabin crew members. And it's really encouraging when... I can issue something to the cabin crew communities and it's accepted and it's taken as thank you. You are on our side. You're helping us as much as you can. That's been the most satisfying part of of COVID for me. I mean, when COVID struck and we were all told to go and work from home and I've been at home for a year and a half working, I really thought I was going to be quiet because what happens in cabin safety when there's this pandemic on and nobody's flying? Well, it's actually been very much the opposite. I've been busier than ever before, trying to engage with more people and more different teams and departments around the world to try and make sure that airlines have got what they need to carry on flying and passengers have got the information that they need to carry on flying safely during COVID, which is a different type of safety to what I'm normally dealing with. Yeah, indeed. I mean, I've seen some of the things that you've put out and perhaps listeners to this podcast, which are all over the world now. So thank you might be wondering how they find these things but so one of the things i saw that came out that was published maybe it came from you on linkedin or it could have been from somebody else but there was a lot around the the air and how that's recycled and how things are covid safe them could you perhaps give us a bit of, i'm assuming this is something you probably know a lot about but yes you do yeah so i thought yes. it was for you yeah. <laughs> so perhaps you give us a bit of a flavor because i know this is a thing that people are thinking about because you can fly at the moment, aren't you? It's just that less people are doing so. And, but also there, this, there was always this thing around the air quality. So maybe if I shut up and let you... I mean, the air quality, it's, it's very much an engineering side of things. But I've, you know, we've all worked on board the aircraft. You and I have worked on the aircraft before. And, and we know that the air is air-conditioned to give you pressurization in the cabin. Mm. So nothing has changed. But what the research has shown is that it's all the air is coming in from outside. It's going through the HEPA filters, which I've got one in my in my home to keep the dust down. So a HEPA filter will don't, don't filter out particles. <laughs> but I only bought it last year, so 
I've managed managed for a long what time aircraft, without was it. it? <laughs> <laughs> Plane reclaimers. It? Actually, it's actually made by uh, yeah Honeywell, which make aircraft parts as well. So right. I, I trust it. <laughs> Air comes into the cabin. It's filtered. It's used, and then it's taken out through the floor. And if you if you've ever heard a hissing noise down by your down by your knees or down by your feet, that's the air being drained out of the cabin. And it goes back through the air conditioning cycle to be cleaned again and put back in with a mixture of fresh air from outside. Mm. So it's about a 50-50 mix. And those hissing noises that you hear on larger aircraft particularly are the air, air being changed. And it's about every two to three minutes. So that's the message that we needed to get out is yes. the cabin air is cleaner than most places that you'll be in your day-to-day lives and if you can relax about the cabin air plus you've got a mask on plus you know you might have reduced services or reduced contact points all of those measures add up there is no one golden ticket to having a covid safe cabin it's the combination of the different layers that helps mm. if you could i mean i don't know if you can at the moment but if you were able to fly would you have any concerns about covid or anything like that absolutely not i mean i would would i look at where i was going to i i do keep a track of which areas of the world covid itself is spreading Mm. but i'm not concerned about the traveling to there it's the being there and what additional measures i'd need to take in my daily life when i'm there it's not on board the aircraft that's a concern at all for me yeah i can keep myself i can keep my hands clean i can keep my face covered i can keep my distance from somebody else i take my responsibility when i'm in a travel yeah. environment so presumably if people are able to travel right now there's nothing stopping them because of all the things that you're talking about and and every airline's adhering to that as well yes and we've also issued more recommended standards to airlines to monitor and enforce these requirements that the aviation regulators have set different mm-hmm. countries have done different things regarding air travel but overall we're following the same as the international civil aviation organization which are our neighbors in montreal and they're united nations as well working closely with the world health organization so we're speaking to them we're matching our guidance to them we're influencing them in what's able to be delivered and there are a global set of rules that apply to aviation i think anybody listening to that's going massively massively reassured by that because that's such a great message isn't it and that's what we've been doing for a year and a half and are still doing working with all of these organizations to standardize things we can't come up with a set standard that is going to be applied on every single flight because the risks are different according to where you are in the world of course and vaccination is really helping us here and thanks to any of our cabin crew who have participated in the vaccination schemes while they've been laid off from their work. Yeah, which goes to show how sort of versatile they are, because we had uh, we've had so many different people come on the podcast, which has been great, you know, and we had one guy on here who was a nervous flyer, very technical. So he would love to hear about the stuff you're talking about. So maybe just for, for that, for a lot of people who have a fear of flying, the technical side can really help them, and technical research is really helpful. So could you tell us where people could read some of the stuff that you've been publishing? All of the stuff that I publish is on IATA.org. Some of the stuff that is aimed at airlines for their safety management processes Mm. is commercial products, so you have to pay for it, you have to buy it. But I do have two sites on IATA.org, 
one cabin safety, which explains what I do within cabin safety, and another one for consumers, for passengers. That's actually quite a hard one to find. So if you do want to look at what IATA does for passengers, you go to the IATA.org website, you look for you and IATA on the right-hand side, click on that and go to passengers. And that's where you'll get the information indirectly from me about what's what's going on with the aircraft. And we have a comms team that work on that. With there's been a, lot, to like a t- ton of stuff in there that people can look at, I guess. Yeah, I mean, there's stuff in there about lithium batteries. There's stuff in there about traveling with children, using cots, bassinets for infants, children, seatbelts, kind of high level stuff. And a bit more detail is on the cabin safety site. But yes, we, we're we not keeping any of our work secret. We just make sure it's aimed at the right people at the right levels. Yeah. And I guess it's pitching the information for people who are going to read it, who are going to look on that. And so now hopefully the people that listen to this will then go delve into the, the site and have a good and old mooch about on that site, if they go to programs safety, they'll see everything relating to safety, everything that goes on, not just cabin. I mean, cabin has its own page, but there's a whole lot of other information about what we do to prevent accidents happening in the first place. And lots of guidance and materials for pilots about flying in certain parts of the world and so on. It's all on IATA.org for them to take a look at. So yeah, by all means, browse around. Yeah, I think that'd be good because I know many many people the fear of flying it, it is that they do the technical research and quite often in the absence of other information they'll probably go onto youtube and there are some good things on there but there's also some rubbish uh, there's lots of material out there there's lots of stuff unfortunately in the media which isn't always quite accurate so i think that's very helpful because they can go straight to source with you and so iarta.org and have a good old look around everything that's on there has been validated and is yeah, and That's and as, as we are a trade association and we, we're representing our airlines that are our members, and there's 293, I think, this week. So everything we do has to be endorsed by them. Everything we do has to be led by them. So it's the airline trade association. It's not me sitting up making rules. It's me representing them in the rulemaking process. So it's, you know, it, it's, it's a real collaboration and the site, they'll find lots of information on that. Oh, that's great. That's really great. And particularly now I can reference it again because I remember talking about the HEPA filters and I just referenced your website. So it's like, it's here. You can look at it. You've got nice little videos. It's some great, great stuff. I mean, you should be very proud of it because I've, I've referenced it a lot. I think it's amazing what you do. Thank you. So let me ask you some random questions, Jonathan. Okay, Jasper. random, on the spot. Right. If you had to give, based on all your years of being in commercial aviation, some advice or things, tips for people who have been frightened of flying, what would you say? Well, if a passenger, if any of you are scared of flying, I would say tell the cabin crew member when you're on board the aircraft. Because if, if they don't know, they yeah they, they'll just assume that you're the same as all of the others that are not. So tell them, talk to them, and you'll be surprised how much they can help you. You'll be surprised how much they can take time to reassure you, even on the shortest flight. They can still look out for you. Just, I mean, for me being a passenger, I wouldn't say I was, you know, I'm not, I don't have a fear of flying, obviously, because Good. I've worked in it. I have, how can I say... If, if I'm traveling as a passenger, I'm very different to when I'm traveling as a crew member. If I'm traveling as a crew member, I am in control of everything. 
if I'm traveling as a passenger, the crew are in control of everything. And I understand the difference when you know, passengers say it's the fear of not being in control because you're not in control of anything. No. You're only in control of dealing with the fact that you're not in control. You're not in control. So tell the cabin crew member that this is how you feel. And then you've given them the control to help you back. What sort of things would you expect them to do? I mean, we have had cabin crew on here who have talked about things that they particularly do. Including, do you remember Max? Max Longing? Yes. Yeah, he was on. He was great. He was talking about what he's been doing during the pandemic as well. But he was giving some of his tips and Sarah came on and gave their sort of tips. But what would you expect any cabin crew person could do to help somebody? Well, I'd, I'd certainly expect a cabin crew member to acknowledge my presence and my fear, if you like, and not mm. not belittle it. I'd, mm. I'd expect that totally all the way through. I wouldn't expect them to sit down with me for the whole flight because we can't we can't deliver that type of promise. On a longer flight, yes, I'd expect them to come up and have a chat. I'd expect them to maybe take me out of my environment and bring me into theirs for a bit on a longer flight. Not really possible on a very short flight. And it's over and done before you've even had time to are you to suggesting eat, eat that they meal. should take passengers into crew rest? Is that, is that <laughs> no. I misread this. <laughs> uh, galleys, definitely. Galleys are a good are a good place for people to. I mean, passengers are in that environment for that whole length of time. If it's a long flight, we encourage you to move around the cabin at some yeah. point to get the blood flowing and so on. And just to get away from looking at a seat to change your environment, I think is a really useful point, as long as it's safe to do so and the seatbelt sign's not on but cabin crew engagement cabin crew are people people cabin crew love people they really have to love people and they do and everything i've seen even through the pandemic is they do love people so just to be looked after by somebody else in a different environment have a little chat can kind of reset you to go back to your seat Mm. to the area that you find is most most scary for you yeah. And I think it's a, I think it's very important that a cabin crew member acknowledges the passenger, even every time they walk past, is just acknowledge them. I've looked for you. You're in safe hands. I'm looking after you. That's what I would do if I was operating on a flight. And I would notice if somebody was in distress. If they look back at me and smile, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm happy that they're happy. Have you ever had a fear yourself? Have you ever had a flight you thought, ooh, what was that? I I wouldn't say many times, but I'd say there's been unusual noises or something like that, which I've been the crew member and I've been in control. So I've been able to go and find out what it was and reassure myself. And crew rest? uh, No, no, I mean, I I remember taxiing on takeoff, uh, taxiing before takeoff and hearing a great big noise from the cargo hold. Big aircraft, 747. So I'm at the back. The cargo is underneath me. Mm. And I was, well, that's unusual. So as we're trained to do, contact the supervisor, contact everybody else, say, I've heard this noise. And as the pilots are trained to do is understand the cabin crew's point of view. They stopped, they came down, they listened, they made a few checks, and they were satisfied that it was just a loose bag and it was fine. Yeah. And we continued. But everybody is trained to communicate when there is something unusual and so many of your flights there is nothing unusual and when something unusual happens you really notice it yeah okay that's a good answer so a couple of quick fire ones best flight you've ever done oh 
best flight of it well there's many different reasons for many different flights i think my there's so many memorable ones over the years the best flight i ever did was a test flight with a full load of passengers on an a3 you might need to clarify what test flight means <laughs> before the airline buys the aircraft and it's the first type of that aircraft to be delivered mm. to that country it has to go through proving you have to prove to the authority that the airline knows how to operate that aircraft. You have to That's prove true. to the authority that everything works as you've written down in your manuals. And you have to prove that everything is obviously safe because the regulator is on the flight with you and you're testing it. But we had a full load of passengers who were all volunteers from the airlines, from the airline and the partners that we had. And that was my most memorable flight because they were all so amazed at this brand new aircraft that had all yeah. these new features and that we knew how to operate it and we could mm. give them everything and we fed them watered them and flew them around the world for 16 hours Lovely. and they loved it to get off on to get off a flight of 16 hours at the end of it the crew were totally exhausted yes the passengers were totally happy and excited and we hadn't gone anywhere we'd gone from manchester to manchester you know, it was, that was my most memorable experience. Oh, that's a great story. Uh, and there okay. are many. Yes, I'm sure there is. The best celeb you met? During the best celeb. celeb? The most interesting? Julian Lennon. Okay. He was, he was sitting next to the galley, which is, which on that aircraft at the time, next to be next to the galley in business class was kind of undesirable for many because of the noise of the galley equipment being used and everything. And being the last to be served because they started at the front and moved down. Yeah, he yeah. was the most genuine, polite, lovely passenger to sit next to the galley because every time we came out of the galley, we'd see him. He looked up, wave, smile, go back to his movie that he was watching. He was just really, really pleasant Excellent. to have alongside. Okay, best, really location. Unusual one. best location yeah. you've ever been to? Mauritius. Because? Location-wise, Mauritius, it was... Again, it was one of these promotional trips, but the hotel was just amazing. The mm. infrastructure I noticed on the island was just so clean and so beautiful. And the people were just so impressed at the variety of people we'd taken there and how they could look after us. And that really touched me. Nice. Uh, okay. If you could do it all again, what would you do differently? Nothing. Amazing. I am truly blessed and truly the luckiest person i know to be doing the job now that i always wanted to do when i was a kid oh that's amazing that is we should probably finish just there and it's not saying that's <laughs> great so I, I love the fact you've had this huge history in commercial aviation and you're still making a massive contribution around this area that you accidentally fell into safety accidentally and totally. now, now you're making a role where you're informing all the airlines and i've i've been to one of Jonathan's JJ's conferences where it gets all these safety professionals together from all hundreds and hundreds of airlines just amazing and so keep doing what you're doing JJ because we appreciate it it's fantastic work it's very reassuring for nervous flyers to know there's people like you out there doing what you do at with the organization that you work for so thank you very much no thank you and thank you for listening no no you're great you were great you can come on every week fantastic <laughs> I feel calm just talking to you <laughs> anytime <laughs>